You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. We have been working our way through the birth narrative of Luke, and this is the last scene in this section. And in this scene, at the end of this chapter, we meet two people who are waiting for good news to come, waiting for healing, for peace, for victory. And when they see the baby Jesus, they know that they found what they've been looking for, and they rejoice. The invitation of the text to all of us is the same thing, that we might see Jesus for who he is today and rejoice. Now, I think the story itself speaks to us today in a very unique way, because it's about people who have been waiting for good news to come, peace, victory, healing, and we know a little bit about what that's like, don't we? Our situation is different than theirs, of course, but the past two years have taught us something about waiting for good news to come. The current spike in COVID-19 cases only reminds us of just the ongoing toll that the pandemic is taking on our world. Beyond economic impact and social impact, there is and will continue to be like a psychological impact. In a recent article in the New York Times, a doctor from John Hopkins University describes our current situation as collective dismay. A collective communal frustration that we haven't been able to fix things. At the very least, you and I and everyone else would just want life to go back to normal. What I want us to consider today is that that desire is actually representative of something much deeper, a deeper desire. We're not just waiting for peace and healing and victory over COVID-19, but over all kinds of sickness and suffering. The collective dismay of humanity deep down is that sin has entered God's good world and ruined it, corrupted it from the bottom up. And we can't fix it. We can't save ourselves. So what do we do? That's what we're gonna see in Luke 2 today. Over and over in the scriptures, uh, the Bible tells us to wait for the Lord. I mean, it's all over the place, but here's a few examples. Verse Uh, Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Famously in Isaiah 40, Isaiah says that those who wait for the Lord shall be renewed in their strength. In the New Testament, in Titus 2, Paul tells us to live godly lives in this present age as we wait for Jesus to come again. Wait for the Lord. That's the invitation. All right, what does that mean How do we do it? Luke 2. We're gonna pick up in verse 22 of this chapter. If you've been with us, you remember that before this, in the first half of the chapter, Joseph and Mary make the trek from Bethlehem, or no, from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census. And uh, while they're there, Jesus is born. The shepherds come to worship him and bear witness to him. And then now in the second half of the chapter, that's where we're picking up. It's six weeks after that event. So they have the baby, there's six weeks of nothing, and now we pick up in verse 22. Let's read it together. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So according to the law of Moses, a woman, a Jewish woman would be considered unclean for 40 days after giving birth. And after that, she was to go to the priest to offer a burnt offering for her purification. That's what they're doing here. There's two other ceremonies mentioned, the presentation of the firstborn, dedication of the child to God's service. There's lots of fun details there, but Luke is kind of summarizing all these ceremonies together because the main thing he wants us to see is how Mary and Joseph lived their lives. They lived their lives according to the law of the Lord. That phrase is repeated four times in this passage. So in verse 22, the purification is according to the law. In verse 23, the presentation of Jesus is as it is written in the law of the Lord. In verse 24, the sacrifice is according to the law of the Lord. At the end of the passage in verse 39, Luke says, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. All right, so I just want you to see two things. First of all, that Mary and Joseph waited They had to wait 40 days to bring this miracle child to the temple. They would wait another 30 years before the promises about him would even begin to take shape. And even then, man, they would have so many questions still. Second, I want you to see how they waited. In their waiting, they lived according to the law of the Lord. Think about how remarkably ordinary that is. I mean, they had, they had talked to angels. People they didn't know had come from afar to worship their baby. A baby, by the way, who Mary had conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are incredible events. We, if these kinds of things happened in our day, we would like write a book, we'd go on tour, we'd hit the talk show circuit. We would see this as a way out of our normal life. But Mary and Joseph go to the temple to do normal things that everybody did. And Luke tells us then they went back to Nazareth. They went back to their normal life and waited to see what God would do. And so as we think today about waiting for the Lord, whether it's waiting for him to answer a prayer or waiting for him to return, this is how we do it. We live our ordinary lives with a sense of expectancy. We obey his word and we wait to see what he will do. In Luke 12, Jesus tells a little parable about waiting. This is what he says to the disciples. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So you've got these servants working in a house, their master goes away to a feast, and instead of kind of taking the night off, chilling out a little bit, they're to be ready, they're to be vigilant, stay dressed, keep the lamps burning, be ready, so that when the door knocks, you hear it and you open it. Jesus goes on to say, when the master returns and those servants who are awake and are ready to receive him, he will take on the clothes of a servant and serve them. They will dine at the table. 
You see, waiting for the Lord is not simply passing the time. It's waiting with expectancy. It's being ready in every moment of our lives to welcome his presence. Joseph and Mary were not the only ones waiting. The story introduces us to two others. Their names are Simeon and Anna. They're not a couple. We don't even know if they knew each other. Uh, What they have in common though is that they had both been waiting a long time for this very moment. The first person we meet is Simeon, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Luke doesn't tell us anything about Simeon's vocation or age, just that he was righteous and devout and that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We learned that at some point in his life, God had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died, which is an incredible promise. Although, can you imagine the tension of living with that? Always looking. Is it, what, is it? I mean, he doesn't know. He has this huge promise, but he has no details about how the promise will be fulfilled. All he can do is just wait. And what marks Simeon's waiting is the presence and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Throughout This book already, Luke has emphasized the work of the Spirit in all of these events, but in his description of Simeon, the Spirit is mentioned three times. In verse 25, the Spirit was upon Simeon. In verse 26, the Spirit had revealed truth to him. In verse 27, the Spirit is leading him. This is what the Spirit does. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus was with the disciples and he was telling them, listen, I'm about to go away. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna go away and I'm gonna come back. But in the meantime, in the time of your waiting, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and he will glorify me. He will point you to me. What the Spirit did for Simeon and for the disciples, he does for us today. He teaches us and he leads us. He gives us eyes of faith to behold what we cannot see. Over the break, uh, my youngest son and I caught up on the Spider-Man movies. I'm sure you did too, if you're into that kind of thing. And uh, one of Spider-Man's superpowers is the spider tingle. He doesn't like the name, but that's what it's called. And it's just this sense he gets of like, it's a heightened awareness of looming trouble, right? And that he can go to the rescue. And the Holy Spirit is not spider tingle, but it does give us a heightened sense of how God is at work around us. And he pulls us into or leads us into that work. So again, waiting is not a doling of the senses to pass the time. It's not just like, you know, watch everything on Netflix till Jesus comes back. That's not it. Waiting is engaging in the moment with spiritual insight and power. Verse 27. Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, now listen, you have to imagine tons of people 
are bringing their babies to the temple. It's not like they're the only ones. They don't just stick out in the crowd. Right? They're one of many. But when they bring the child into the temple, according to the custom of the law, Simeon went up, to them, took the child up in his arms. I would love to know how that went down. Did he ask? Because like if some strange old dude comes up and takes your baby, that's, that's a crime. I don't know how, how it would happen. He went and he took the baby in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It's like uh, someone who has been assigned to watch, like a watchman in the night and his shift is over now and he's released. Simeon has been assigned to watch, to wait for the Messiah and now he's got him. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about him, as you can imagine. What a beautiful image this is. When Simeon sees the child, this thing, this person that he's been waiting for, he takes the child to his arms and basically says, I can die now. It's not that he wants to die. It's just that having seen the salvation of God, he's ready to. He, he has such joy and such relief, such peace that if God wanted to take him right then, that would be fine. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, think about all of the pressure that you feel in life, the hardship you're enduring right now, just how great it would be to feel that kind of joy and relief. We are told that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation means comfort. In Isaiah 40, at the beginning of that chapter, the prophet says, comfort, oh, comfort my people. It's an announcement that God is coming to bring comfort to his people, his people who had been the subject of war and judgment and exile. And along with all that had loads of guilt and loneliness. And God was coming to console, to comfort them. Consolation is when the mercy of God comes toward us to heal our wounds and to restore all that has been lost. That is what Simeon had been waiting for. That's why he took the child up into his arms. I read somewhere this week that we receive what we're expecting. And if we're not expecting it, we have a hard time receiving it. So for example, if I am expecting someone to come over to my house, that's one thing. But if I'm not expecting that and I hear a knock on the door, I am not receptive in that moment. I'm suspicious. I'm trying to figure out how can I see them without them seeing me? Who's at my door? Right? But if I know someone's coming over, I've, I've probably even prepared for them to come over. And so when I hear their door knock, it's exciting. It's like they're here and I'm ready to receive them into my home. That's what waiting for the Lord is. It's an expectancy, a readiness, a waiting. When my uh, kids were young, when they would get into trouble, sometimes they would just run up into the room and hide because they knew I was coming. And what they were expecting was anger and disappointment. 
some of you who are just weighed down with regret and shame, that's probably what you expect from God. Disappointment, anger. But do you hear the good news? God comes to bring comfort. As I'm walking up the stairs to my house and my kids think I'm coming in anger and disappointment, the reality is, is I'm coming in mercy. My goal is not to punish them, but to condemn them, but to restore them to fellowship. And as I remember, it was just always so hard for them to believe that because they weren't expecting it. If they had been expecting it, my dad's coming, I've messed up, but my dad's coming. That means comfort. But that conversation would be so different, wouldn't it? I saw something recently I can't get out of my mind. And it said, you know, the law is I messed up and my dad is gonna be mad. And the gospel is I messed up. I need to call my dad. That's who we're dealing with. That's who you can expect in the person of Jesus. Comfort, comfort my people. He's the consolation of Israel, but he is also a light to all people. Look at verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is a feast that anyone can come to. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So Israel receives the light of salvation. And so the the glory of God is seen upon them. But the light is also a revelation to the Gentiles. That's everyone else. That's us. And so whatever darkness you are sitting in, the light of Jesus shines upon you today. You don't have to hide from, you can't hide from him and it's okay because he comes to bring comfort. Simeon rejoices that the arrival of Jesus is good news for everyone. But there's also a word of warning here that we'll look at real quickly. Verse 34, he blesses Mary and Joseph and then, or blesses Mary and then he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The basic warning here is that Jesus, though he's good news for everyone, will be a divisive figure. The image I think that he's referring to, which you see in the Old Testament, it's picked up in the New Testament, is that of a precious cornerstone. Those who see the precious cornerstone for what it is and they understand its value, they build their lives upon it and it's a sure foundation. But those who don't see it for what it is and don't understand its value, they stumble over it and fall. Jesus is like that. Those who see their need for him and they understand his abundance to meet that need, build their lives on him. But those who don't see their need for him don't understand who he is. Actually, what they are is offended by him. Because he says, you can't save yourself. He says, your best efforts will always fall short. He says, you can't serve God and money. He says, if you want life, you have to lose your life first to find life in me. 
And that's offensive to our cultural sensibilities, isn't it? Jesus is not neutral. He's a fork in the road. You will either be raised up by him to salvation or you will stumble over him and fall. All right, one more picture of waiting in this story. It's a woman named Anna, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and she as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Luke doesn't tell us much about Anna, except that she's a widow. She had been a widow for a long time and that was a hard life. It would have been more secure for her to remarry. It would have been easy to spend her life complaining and grumbling. But instead, she devoted herself to God. The point is not about whether widows can or should remarry. The point is that it was okay for her not to. Meaning in life, value and purpose in life for Anna was not contingent on her relationship status. Of course, there were times that she longed for the things that marriage might bring into her life. But what sustained her for over 60 years was a deeper longing for what God might bring into her life. And so Anna waits. She makes waiting her daily practice. Anna's always at the temple. And so she sees what's happening with Joseph and Mary and Simeon that day. Now, what's crazy, not crazy, what's interesting about Anna always being at the temple is that this is her life. Day and night, she's just there, unnoticed probably. In other words, she's not looking to go somewhere else. Most of us think that happiness in life is somewhere else, in like some other stage of life. Whether if you're single, it's like, well, when I get married, I'll be happy. When you're married, it's like, when I have kids, I'll be happy. When you have kids, it's like, when they're gone, we will be happy for sure. For some of you, it's like, it's a job, it's a career, it's a change in skill set, it's a different house or a different city. Just at some deep level, we're all pretty sure that happiness is somewhere else. But the truth is that happiness is found in God. And guess what? God is with you right where you are. So Anna commits to the life that she has in the temple. And on this day, like any other day, she sees Mary and Joseph and Simeon. And she knows too, in her spirit, this is what she's been waiting for. We don't know if she took the baby in her arms like Simeon did. All it tells us is that as she began to come up to them, she started to give thanks to God and she began to preach to the people around. For all who were waiting for this moment, she begins to talk about Jesus to them. She tells them, or she's talking about the redemption of Jerusalem, it says. So whereas consolation is primarily about healing of the past, 
Redemption is primarily about our need for rescue and deliverance now and in the future. It's about victory over enemies. And they would have taken that to mean victory over Rome. That was their oppressor. But Jesus and the rest of the New Testament tell us that Rome's not the enemy. That our deepest need is deliverance from sin and death. And so Jesus doesn't fight the Romans. In fact, he dies on a Roman cross. Why would he do that? Because Paul says in Colossians 2 that on the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities, right? the dark powers over sin and death, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them through Christ. And in 1 Corinthians, he says that in Christ's resurrection, death is swallowed up in victory. The redemption of Jerusalem and the redemption for all of God's people through the life and the death and Jesus is victory over sin and death. If you feel trapped by sin or fear, I've been there, like, like there's no way out. You don't know how to get out. Look to Jesus. Hear the good news from Anna that Jesus has come to help the helpless to set the captives free. We don't like to think of ourselves as helpless. We like to think of ourselves as educated and connected and pretty self-sufficient. But listen, in the face of sin and death, that is an illusion. You're helpless, utterly. Jesus has come to help, to rescue, to deliver, to conquer for you. As we begin a new year together, let me just put this question in front of you to consider. What are you waiting for? What is it that would make you feel like life is good this year? If it's financial security, then you'll be waiting for a new job or a promotion or for your investments to grow. If it's experiences, Instagrammable moments, then you'll be waiting for an event or a meal or an achievement, a party, something, adventure. There's, there's all kinds of things that we're waiting for that we think will make life okay. That's all an illusion too. Right? That, the human condition is this, that we were made to be satisfied with God and yet we are constantly looking elsewhere. And Simeon and Anna show us a better way. They say, look to Jesus. Be ready in every moment of your life to welcome his presence. Take hold of him because he is our comfort and our redemption. Let's give thanks for him. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.